Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, I was thinking it has been an awfully long time since we cracked open our Bible. Oh, yeah. (laughs) In so many ways, that's the truth, Ben. (laughs) It's good to see you all in church. It's called the Bible. That's... The way God wants it. I don't know why, dude. All these questions? Is a little blind faith too much to ask? You got that uh, right. that red letter edition TNG show Bible over there? Oh, yeah, the King James show Bible. Yeah, King Rod show Bible. I have randomly selected another page from the what doesn't work section of the, <laughs> of the book. Is that half the book? <laughs> Sadly, no, Adam. It's, it's just a single line that says season seven. These are these are points five through nine, and they are there are some big headlines and some clarifications. Uh, first is we do not accept stories which are fantasy instead of science fiction. The difference between the two is profound, despite <laughs> the fact that both science fiction and fantasy can deal with unusual events. <laughs> A science fiction story is based on an extrapolation of a generally accepted scientific fact or theory. Fantasy, which our format does not permit, need have no basis in reality. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I guess my retort for that is every holodeck episode ever. (laughs) It's funny how condescending the show Bible can be sometimes. Yeah. In case you didn't know the difference, you guys. Speaking of holodeck episodes, uh, number six, we are not interested in swords and sorcery. Knights, princesses, stalwart, yeomen, and dragons are not science fiction for our purposes. (laughs) I feel like they've done so much of that. For what purpose did the show Bible serve? Like, was the show Bible on a bookshelf in the writer's room and it was rarely referred to or were were writers expected to observe the rules in it because it sure doesn't seem based on these last two uh bullet points that it was something that they took seriously yeah i mean there's definitely i mean i guess i guess all rules are made to be broken sure number seven don't treat deets don't treat deep space as a local neighborhood too often script ideas show characters bouncing from solar system to solar system, planet to planet, without the slightest comprehension of the distance involved or the technologies required to support such travel. Fine and even fun in Space Rangers, but not Star Trek. What's Space Rangers? Is that something? You know, the very popular hit science fiction series Space Rangers. Yeah, I have no idea what that is. Space Rangers TV series. Wow. That totally pokes a hole in my in my proposal for the Cannonball Run TNG episode that we were so <laughs> close to getting. Wow, Space Rangers is an American futuristic science fiction drama. It aired on CBS in 1993. <laughs> oh, you know how many shows are on CBS right now that I've never heard of? I love that 
that the show bible for a much bigger television series is throwing shade at their competition. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Uh, Look, man, you want to you wanna write a dragon story? You could take that shit over to Space Rangers. We don't do that around here. We're running a very classy science fiction television program. <laughs> Point eight, Star Trek is not melodrama. Melodrama is a writing style which does not require believable people. Believable people are at the heart of good Star Trek scripts. Uh, the second part is true. <laughs> yeah. Like, melodrama is a perfectly valid genre. What the fuck is he talking about? And, and by yeah. he, I obviously mean God, who wrote this. Especially when this show came out of the blocks. It was almost entirely melodrama. Yeah. Number nine. Do not consider Klingons, Romulans, or Ferengi the only villains in space. We are determined not to copy ourselves. If, as dramatists say, villains make the story, how about the other fascinating aliens to be found in a galaxy filled with billions of stars and planets? I think this probably came from a from a good place. But I think as soon as they wrote the Ferengi and saw them on screen for the first time, they were like, you know, I think we better just keep it in the alien neighborhood we're familiar with. (laughs) We are not good at this. You know, what's weird is like off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of the aliens they introduced in order. And Ferengi was first as far as the new aliens go. And then who, who came next besides like Loaf of the Week? Yeah, there's been a lot of Loaf of the Weeks. Um, I guess the other big ones introduced in this series are Borgs and Cardassians. Yeah. Yeah, they did a good job with those two. I mean, Nausicans. <laughs> yeah. They don't really Actually present. had some shit to do. Uh, the uh, Farmer Hoggets. Yeah, the people. Packleds. Yeah, the Packleds, the Eurydians. But to but uh, to begin with the Ferengi and miss the way they did, that had to give some people some pause. Yeah. But they redeemed themselves on Alien Creation after that. But they did a good job, and they even redeemed the Ferengi. Yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom in this Bible. Do you? Well, here endeth the lesson, Adam. Well, uh, peace be with you, Ben. And also with you, Adam. What do you say we see to what degree this this episode prescribes to those rules? It's season seven, episode 16, Thine Own Self. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. An episode that begins with Beverly taking a night shift command spot. And the return of Deanna Troy from a three-day class reunion. Ben, (laughs) I have so much to talk about with regards to a three-day class reunion. What the hell is that about? (laughs) Like, that does not include transit time, I don't think. I think think the event takes three days. God, I was out of shit to talk about in the first 30 minutes at my class reunion. I went to my 10 year and my 20 year was a couple weeks ago. I skipped it, Ben. And it was it was local. It was like 30 minutes away and I didn't go. That's kind of shitty, right? You didn't want to tell people about your Star Trek podcast. 
the pause that I'm giving between the question and the answer, I think, says a lot. <laughs> but what is a reunion if not a hundred times to answer the question, what have you been up to? That's a question that I hate answering in general. I just didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. High school wasn't great for me, TBH. No, no it kind of sucked. I don't want to reconnect with the person I was in high school either. Like, Right. <laughs> High school was a very dark time for me. And the cools in high school have gone on to become way less cool because that's what happens when you graduate. I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to start the motor on those egos again. Like I don't yeah. I would not I would rather not give them the satisfaction of my attendance, you know? To to give them the social standing that they have so missed. Fuck 'em. Fuck 'em. Anyway, I think Troy liked her classmates a lot more than we did because upon returning to the bridge, she's like, yeah, it was really, you know, she makes the, she makes the case that everyone does at the end of her reunion. She's like, you know, it's nice to connect with people that I haven't talked to in many years and see, you know, their ambitions realized. Speaking of Bev, what the hell are you doing on the bridge? (laughs) Yeah, Beverly is like, the truth is I like it. It's not every doctor who gets to command a starship, even if it is the night shift. Bev is like, it's a good thing every alien in the universe prescribes to a three-shift rotation, (laughs) and uh, every other hostile alien ship is running their C-team right now, so, like, we're not in any danger. (laughs) Like, what the hell is that about? This is almost as wacky as the rule of, like, all ships approaching each other from the same plane. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's weird shift logic. I mean, one thing that like we kind of didn't didn't touch on much in the last episode is that like aside from the very end, that was like one of the first times we've ever seen an episode where the mission basically goes entirely according to plan. Yeah. Like they go pick up the guy, they like get him in the shuttle and they send him on his way. And like you know, it's obviously got a sad ending, but like the mission is not where any of the conflict or uh, drama is coming from in that episode. And uh, you have to think that like a lot of the time this ship is flying around not encountering space buttholes and stuff, right? Yeah. And a third of the time, the C team, like, it's a bridge full of Barnabies <laughs> are are running the show for eight hours a day. Like outside of the episode disaster, which this episode refers to fairly directly, what we don't get is the cold open of the C team getting bangers dropped on them and the senior <laughs> staff like being asleep yeah, and having to make their way to the bridge or whatever. I yeah. think that's a story that's worth retelling. That would be fun. Yeah. Picard getting knocked out of bed by a banger. Getting on the yeah. communicator. What the fuck is going on up there? I go to sleep for 30 minutes and the ship's getting bangers dropped on it. Barnaby's like, finally, I get to take command. <laughs> They're also waiting to hear from Data, who's off on a mission uh, collecting some radioactive material that landed on a an uncontacted pre-industrial planet. And they've got some other, some other like shit to do. Go to like pick up some medical supplies from somebody, or whatever. 
Yeah, and just as an aside, Bev is like, yeah, I mean, Data hasn't responded to any of our communiques for like 36 hours or whatever, but... Geordie said that the radiation from the probe might interfere with communications. We're not worried about our most valuable Federation asset going <laughs> off the grid for like for like longer than an hour. Yeah. Bev, Bev like sort of supports her... Like, even Troy is like, you sent him a message, that, and uh, he hasn't responded to any messages for a length of time. Isn't that weird? And Bev's like, yeah, it's cool. We just send him messages, even if we aren't sure he's going to open them. <laughs> I think that's not a good look for Beverly if she <laughs> is on command duty. Yeah. Like, this is basically a data Amber Alert here situation, <laughs> and she is not seeing it for what it is. Yeah, she's much much more interested in talking about how much she likes being captain, deep down. And you can see this sort of eat at Troy. She sees Bev in the big chair. She sees how satisfying it is to be there. I like it. Beverly sort of cops to the idea of like, yeah, I, I didn't have to become commander. Being doctor was the jam for me. But like, new challenges, right? You get what I'm saying, Deanna. And like, she sort of looks at her... <laughs> at her pips and is like, oh, I guess you wouldn't. Sometimes a plant grows too big for its pot, Deanna. <laughs> and credit to Marina Sirtis, like, uh, she seems a little crushed by this. Yeah. There's it's a it, wilting in her, uh, in her flowers. It's a nice, wordless performance. Yeah. Cut to Renfair. This is a planet fully inhabited by people with the Mazda logo tattooed to their forehead. <laughs> they just love that logo. They all went yeah. for the tat. Uh, <laughs> what is up with this this season going with like Planet Scottish, Planet Renfair? Like I'm I'm ready to uh to see Planet Circus. Yeah. What are they doing? I don't know. They don't have the money for loaf. They burned it all on costumes. Like, if you're going to have this storyline, having the aliens be real loafy is A, going to be tremendously expensive, and B, going to make it hard to explain why Data does not have loaf. Yeah. Like, he can have weird skin, but if he doesn't have the loaf, they're going to be like, there's something very wrong with this guy. Right. Agreed. So... Data walks into this town square looking like I feel, and uh, he's like, he's got like a thousand yard stare, and he's carrying a plastic lunch pail, and uh, this man and his daughter are walking through the square, and they're in like, you know, renaissance-y clothing, and the man is like, Who are you? What do you want? And Data opens his mouth and just like... Seeing Data with messed up hair evokes a feral Riker idea, <laughs> but it's far more acute. Like, messed up Data hair is a really bad sign. He's got, like, scorch marks on him. Yeah. There's a big gash across where his communicator would be. He doesn't look great. No. And he he's not sounding great either. He's sounding like a broken fax machine. <laughs> <laughs> but he sort of puts it together, right? Like, the... Uh, the guy, the father, is his name Garvin? Garvin. Fred Garvin, male prostitute. This guy who we'll get to know later is Garvin. Is like, hey, bud, 
uh, you okay? And Data is like mimicking him and put and slowly like his voice is coming back, but only in the sentence fragments that Garvin is, is shooting at him until finally at the end, Data sort of like his brain comes back online insofar as he can say like, like he he's he's sort of putting it together. The CPU is a neural net processor, a learning computer. He's fixing himself. That part is coming back online, but he's lost his memory. And like, the first indication of this is that Garvin's like, "I'm Garvin. This is Gia." I have a work order here, which specifies that I am to Roger you roundly till six fifteen tomorrow morning. Data doesn't remember his name. And uh, they're like, well, what's in your lunch pail there, buddy? Maybe maybe your wallet's in there. And uh, they're looking at it, and they're like, why does it say radioactive? What could that possibly mean? They're like, uh, your case says Calvin Klein. Maybe that's your name. <laughs> <laughs> it's a total back to the future thing, I thought. I've never seen an android in purple underwear. It's so, like, the, the way they frame this case, they frame it very ominously as they do with the radioactive box. But this is something that like contemporary science has thought a lot about, like with regard to uh, the caves where we bury nuclear material, for instance. Like what is a thing, what is a symbology that you can use that looks like danger to anyone for the next million years? Yeah. Evidently they have not answered that question. Not at this point. Don't they don't they do like an image of somebody barfing? Isn't that what they put on those caves? Yeah. That, that should be the that should be the logo for our podcast. <laughs> for a lot of people it already is, Adam. That's the next t-shirt idea. Just greatest <laughs> gen logo, guy barfing. <laughs> um so that is our A storyline. Our B storyline is Troy, like, having talks with Riker about her newly crystallized ambition to become a three-pip. And uh, she, like, walks into his quarters while he's practicing the bone. Ben, how not great would it be to live next to Riker, given his prodigious bone practice? I was really. And I mean that in in every definition. I was really wishing that the camera did one of those those plunging shots through the floor and just showed like an <laughs> ensign like hitting hitting the ceiling with a broom handle, one deck down. God, because you got to believe that the deck that Riker is on is one of the great decks. Yeah. Great condos. The floor plans are killer. You got to hope that there's Jeffrey tubes. On either side and <laughs> above and below, because otherwise it's really going to fuck things up for everybody else. Living next to Riker is like getting the hotel room next to the ice machine and the elevator. You're <laughs> that, not going to be doing a lot of sleeping. That door is going to be slamming every every 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, man. I do want to be close enough to the ice machine, though. I hate having to go to another floor for it. Yeah, you want same floor ice, that's for sure. That is... For damn sure. Riker's been playing trombone for so long that he has come up with a trombone language that he is speaking <laughs> with Troy. This is sort of a Wally language that he yeah. that he plays through the trombone. Is that supposed to be a question? They're having a lot of fun with this. 
You know, this is a much better way of communicating for you. It's far less confusing than the way you normally speak. This is like the sort of relaxed fun that they have with each other that is just so comfortable. Yeah. I like, uh, <laughs> I think at some point he says, like, my anxiety just came in to make fun of my trombone playing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the self-referentialness. Yeah. The, the the references to the ball breaking in progress. Yeah. The way open V combination that that Riker's rocking here. Yeah. You want something loose fitting when you're playing that bone. Yeah. Off hours, gonna put on that loose V. <laughs> and so Troy says that she wants that that three pip game and he says, Well yeah, like I think you'd be great. Um but it, it, there's a test, and you're going to have to jump through the same hoops as everybody. I'm not going to be nice to you just because you're my Amzadi. Yeah, he makes that case that you have to make when you work with friends, which is like, this is the work hat, and this is the friend's hat, and I don't often wear both at the same time. So, like, I'm I'm the guy for whom the buck stops on these promotions, so, like, don't expect special treatment. Yeah, The only hat I wear at the same time as either of these is my Jimmy hat. <laughs> which I just wear all the time just in case my dick is not doing any breathing <laughs> it keeps it nice and soft like a glove with lotion in it <laughs> I thought it was funny that Troy referred to her previous experience in command as a disaster like I love references to the title of the episode in the episode <laughs> yeah Riker's like, well, uh, to thine own self be true, Deanna, and then, like, looks at the camera. <laughs> it is the guiding principle of a dog-breeding face. Now, you can't find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth. You don't deserve to wear that uniform. Back on Planet Renaissance, uh, a very officious local science lady has been, has been brought around. They've got data back to the the uh the house they live in and this science lady Talur is assessing data like she's like looking in his mouth and smelling his breath and trying she's trying to get uh get her head around what he might be because he doesn't look like them obviously and she uh determines based on the available evidence that she is uh talking to an ice man ice man <laughs> She does that thing where, like, the most wrong people are have have the strongest opinion about how they're feeling. Like, she is positive that he is an iceman. You are an iceman. Data's ready to believe this. Like, I'm an iceman. <laughs> That's me. Cool. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. You seem to be very sure of yourself. Um. Yeah, I kind of wondered what the statement being made here was. Was it that, like, scientists, like, er, you know, early scientists didn't didn't know what the fuck they were talking about? Because she seems to have, like, some some grasp of the universe, but it is a primitive one. And, like, as he gets more plugged back into himself, he he starts being much, much better at science than she is. But the the message that it gave me was like true intelligence has a doubt component. Right. And she looks like a buffoon for not having that. Have you ever read about E prime? No. 
it's is like, that uh is that when you get ecstasy delivered to your home on the same day that you ordered it? <laughs> yeah, it's it's Uber but for drugs. <laughs> um it's an it's an idea of a version of English for scientists that doesn't have any like certainty words. Hmm. You can't you can never say like the word is. You would always have to say like appears to be or oh. I perceive something as X and uh I guess it's mostly just kind of a thought experiment like can can you uh can you get around in a world where you uh, like are linguistically barred from certainty in anything um but yeah this woman is brimming with confidence that every pronouncement she makes is true and uh <laughs> there's a great scene where she's like teaching a bunch of little kids about the elements and she's like if we expose the wood to flame we can encourage the fire within the wood to show itself because look at this and she lights it on fire and he's like and though it's very hard to see it's also filled with water (laughs) and data does that smart kid thing where he corrects the teacher i do not believe that is correct oh yeah she doesn't take this well no she takes it so not well that I pegged her as a threat to Data right away in a way that later on does not, that ends up being a head fake. Like, yeah. Like, she is not the threat to him that I presupposed she would be. And she sort of, she sort of is redeemed as, as the episode goes on. Like, she, as she realizes that he has a lot to offer in terms of, like, understanding of the world around them. Uh, she she becomes more and more uh, friendly to him. There's a magic trick this show does, or this television series does from time to time, which is like accurately predict something that happens in modern times. Hmm. And maybe the most acute way that this show has ever done it is predicted the popularity of the name Jaden. <laughs> Which is what they end up naming Data in this episode for lack of any other name. They're like, yeah, let's make you Jaden. Jaden, of course, now, along with every other name that ends in E-N, is like the number one style of name that babies are named right now. (laughs) I just just picture all the parents listening being like, fuck, this is where I got it from? God. We've they had no idea. Kid, we've been calling our kid this for six years. I did not realize it was because I watched a TV show when I was nine. <laughs> I watched a C-level season seven random episode on BBC America. <laughs> Must have just slipped into my head. I think I'd rather have a child named Jaden than Garvin. Compliments of Great Lakes feed and grain. <laughs> or Scorin. Yeah. Uh Scorin is the town blacksmith, played by a fairly legendary that guy, Mike Haggerty. Actually, I was thinking about filing agreements with the union. Yeah, Mike Haggerty's the best. <laughs> he really is. They take the uh, the metal from Data's lunch pail down to this guy, and they're like, what do you think of this? And he's like, well, this is some great metal. Like, I don't know how you even make metal this great. It's so shiny, so so pliable. Metal is slightly warm. And so he's like... Let me buy some of this off you. I'm gonna make uh, I'm gonna make some jewelry. I know this is not how radioactive metals work, but when he took it over to the uh, 
to the blacksmith's table and started whacking on it with a hammer. I was full on expecting like cut to extreme wide shot of the town, giant nuclear flash, <laughs> cut to credit sequence. <laughs> I'm gonna just cut to cut to view of planet and like yeah. a little flash <laughs> under the clouds and, and then roll credits. <laughs> oh man, there's a version of this episode that's eight minutes long. That would have been great. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in, in movies you can nuke the fridge, but in television shows you can nuke the anvil. Yeah, what? it is definitely Chekhov's anvil. Why are guys that work with metal always so gruff? I think that is what you hire for when you're hiring blacksmiths. <laughs> gruffness? Yeah. What is this man's gruffness quotient? Okay, he can work here. It uh, says here on your resume that you're great at growing a mustache, and sure as hell I can see that. <laughs> great job with the mustache. I have some doubts about your gruffness, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, sir, I'm willing to learn. Uh, y- yeah. I can, I can, you can train me on the job. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh... Took her advice, and I went down to Kmart and got suspenders and a belt, so got that part sorted out. Man can't even trust his own pants. I worked on a fishing boat for a couple of summers. That really made me gruff. (laughs) One thing that would make me gruff is an anvil falling on my foot, and that happens to to, uh, Scorin's apprentice, and... uh, You know, they're like, shit, like, it's gonna take ten men to lift this thing off you, and... Data comes over and very easily picks up this this anvil, and uh, rather than writhe in pain at his crushed foot, the uh, the apprentice looks up at him in horror. One of the rare Data feats of strength. I feel like yeah. we haven't seen one of these in a long time. They're fun. Yeah. There was a little bit of one at the beginning when he like handed the guy the lunch pail, and it was yeah. way heavier than it looked. Right. But, uh, right. yeah, this is great. Now, when you're building a blacksmith station, <laughs> you're going to want to be sure to use timber that is not rotten as a base. <laughs> We're using pressure-treated lumber that should stay <laughs> nice and hot out here in the elements for a good long time. I like to give my blacksmith base a nice coat of varnish. <laughs> Just a couple coats is all you need keep your base looking glossy for years to come. We're setting it on a couple of two-by-fours on the ground so that it is separated from the slate and therefore can drain on all sides. So, the uh, the reaction from Shattered Ankle Guy, I think, <laughs> becomes emblematic from everyone in town. They've gone from seeing him as a mysterious stranger to there being a little bit of threat creep happening right it it goes from we feel weird that you missed the memo about getting the mazda tattoo to (laughs) we're a little unsure of like how okay it is for you to be around yeah and that uh also gets amplified by the fact that uh garvin the company sent me and the and his daughter and the blacksmith are falling ill slowly where garvin is in repose is the sub rosa house it's a sub rosa house redress yeah i noticed this with the door initially and then when they did the reverse shot of garvin on his fainting couch as he's sick with radioactive poison 
uh, the stairway behind him is also Sub Rosa stairway. Dang, I did not so notice that. So they got that. value for the set. Yeah. I suppose if you build the house, you're going to want to use it. Yeah. Yeah, but it's interesting, you know, how changing the light changes how a set looks so fundamentally because they shoot very hot light into this set and it looks totally different from Planet Scotland. Mm-hmm. There's also you t- significantly They took all less... the Hummel figurines out too. <laughs> yeah, and significantly less uh, hazer in the air. Yeah, Garvin is not, uh, is not sitting on Beverly's jacking seat. <laughs> my, my love is a Back on the ship, Troy is doing her tests, and uh, they've got her. They've got her in engineering. Uh, it's Worf and and Jordy, and there's like some kind of warp core malfunction happening, and they keep trying the different things that she she suggests, and it's clear that she's kind of like trying to pull from memory, trying to remember how how it all plugs into itself. And she fails. The ship explodes, and uh, it's revealed that she's been on the holodeck the whole time. Congratulations. You just destroyed the Enterprise. Uh, participating in Kobayashi Martu. <laughs> that one's better. <laughs> <laughs> Riker walks into the scene like a guy who walks into a room that the ceiling is too short in. This is something I've started to detect in Frakes' performance. Like, he's his neck is always on a swivel. Like, he sort of saunters in, his head's a little wobbly, and and, uh, and then his, his head just sort of slumps over on his neck. <laughs> he gives Troy a little bit of counseling here. Yeah, now he's doing the counseling. <laughs> the counsel shoe is on the other counsel foot this time. <laughs> and he's giving her some tough love. He's like... You know, a lot of this techno jargon is pretty important for the test. But, like, you know, it's not just about memorizing the book. Like, you got to start making some decisions. You got to start thinking deeply about some things uh, during the test. And Troy's like, what are you talking about? Like, the book is like a telephone book full of things. You're you're encouraging me to think about things besides that. Like, give me a hint. And Riker's like, look, that it's not about hints. I'm not that kind of teacher that gives open book tests. You're just gonna have to keep taking the test, or like maybe reconsider this whole idea. It's not super dissimilar from the kind of bossing that Worf was doing in the last episode, where right, it's kind of making the person rise to the occasion by being tougher on them than maybe they're used to. Yeah. And in being that tough, like revealing something that the boss has, you know, realized about their potential. The tension here is played perfectly because I think a weaker show would have dialed them up into full on open fight about this. Yeah. But they never stop treating each other with respect and love. Riker is being real with her and she is very frustrated by the process, but she's never like fuck you and fuck this test. Like, I'm going to go take it on the hood where I know I can pass. <laughs> yeah. DeSoto, all he gives is open book tests. Yeah, you can bring your cell phone in here. <laughs> <laughs> He's like flipping through his pad, like feet up on the desk, like not even paying attention to what's happening. 
Yeah, he gets on FaceTime with some Ferengis and he's like, uh, hold that thought. And he presses <laughs> mute and then he goes on like Wikipedia and looks up Ferengis. <laughs> what the fuck are these guys? DeSoto is not a Mr. Hand type. <laughs> I feel like the two, the A and the B story here have about equal weight. And I'm as invested, I'm equally invested in both of them. Yeah, they're, uh, they're both... They're both moving, you know. One doesn't seem like your uh, your vegetables, and the other like your dessert. It's all uh, they're they're very like disconnected, but they're both um, in, invested with you know tension and stakes and interest. And right. uh, and the stakes in the uh, in the town that data is is in are are getting pretty high because Garvin is like really sick, and Talur is trying you know her best to figure out what the fuck is going on but like she just doesn't have a lot of context and data from first principles is like has like invented a microscope has determined that there is something non that's not uh like a communicable disease but something that is affecting the cells in people's bodies like he's He's done a lot, and and he even shows her an experiment where he like, like, put lamp oil on a, on a piece of fabric in a frame, and shows that like he can light it up by, by holding a candle next to it, but also by holding one of these metal pendants to it. Wait a minute, are you, are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? And he can make the light go away if he puts the lunch pail in between the pendant and the and the frame. It's a cool, it's a cool experiment. It's a trick. No, it is empirical data. He really blows Talur's mind here. <laughs> She's like, fuck, that's an awesome science experiment. I should try and do one of those. Talur, up to this point, has had, has been brimming with that, that false confidence that we referred to in the beginning. But as soon as she runs her hand through Garvin's hair and a big patch of it comes out, all of that false confidence falls away and it scares her. And in the absence of being sure about what's happening, like she fairly instantaneously levels her her sight on data as the thing that may be causing this, as the variable. Yeah. She's threatened by him because he is the variable, but also because uh, he intimidates her with his intelligence. He's so fast, and he's up to speed so quickly. He's basically taking her job. Yeah, but she's, like, like that hubris has gone away. She's, like, really interested in learning something from him. And yeah. she realizes that she has something to learn from him. Meanwhile, the, like, the town metal guy is, is like, this guy made us all sick. We were fine, and then he showed up, and now we all have gross lesions all over our face so i'm gonna put on my angry villager hat and show up with my guy with a pick and uh (laughs) punish jaden for what he has done to us this has happened to Riker a lot Riker goes on away missions to distant planets and by the time he leaves uh its inhabitants are covered in crotch lesions But yeah, this is totally like uh, like townspeople from Frankenstein style, like like mob with torches. The guy with the pick takes a swing at Data, 
and it gets him on the side of the face and a like Terminator 2 level amount of skin is ripped away and the uh, Christmas tree lights and machinery underneath is revealed. I wish we saw for just a half a second the cut to the floor of that that, that, that piece of face hitting the ground. <laughs> <laughs> like like the Foley work is just like a, a half a pound of ham. <laughs> <laughs> it's so insane to think that if you took all of Data's skin off, he'd, he'd be like a Christmas tree under there. Like, why all the lights under the skin? Yeah. What why are those for? Why can't you see the lights under his skin? Yeah, should they... I guess it's like perfectly opaque. Pretty great complexion. <laughs> yeah, that's a very high sun protection factor on that skin. Yeah. I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. So Troy is studying real, real hard. She's like really hitting the books. She's like, I am going to figure out this fucking engineering test if it kills me. And Riker, like kind of unannounced, just barges into her room and is like, hey, like... You're you're wasting your time. You're not gonna you're not gonna pass the test, so I'm canceling the whole situation. You're not gonna become a commander. This moment felt fairly cruel in a way that did not seem in character for Riker. Yeah. And what it does is it encourages Troy to go right back into the test. Like she she turns on the holodeck and, and goes back in. It made me think that this was fairly similar to the lesson that Worf taught Cedo. Yeah, this is that classic trope of she kind of got the answer from him, but like it took it took him being really mean to her. Yeah. Like he says, like, I can't let you on that bridge because my first duty is to the ship. And she's like, First duty is to the ship? That's it. Right. And even though we know this is a simulation, this scene that follows is really intense because she basically has like an eye-to-eye conversation with Jordy, like, hey, can you go sacrifice yourself for the needs of the many? He would never survive the radiation. I know that. This was a great scene because of that. Like, you get the moment. You get the moment that this whole test is, is about, which is will you order someone that you know and like to their death? But where the test fails, if I were writing this test, you got to make Jordy fight this. Yeah, I think I could. <laughs> Jordy's got to be like, don't do this, Deanna. Like, I've, I've got so much to live for. Like, send send an exocomp, send data. <laughs> but not me. Like, I want to live. And then, like, Jordy grabs, grabs Troy by the shoulders. I want to live. <laughs> like, that's, that's the test on all Madden mode. And that's what I wanted to see. Like, as it was, Jordy's like... Aye, aye. And then, like, goes into the Jeffries tube and dies. This is a real That's bummer, it. Deanna, but I suppose. <laughs> uh, I would ordinarily say to take care of my stuff or whatever, but I don't have any stuff. So <laughs> I, feel, I have a feeling you'll turn over my condo pretty easily. <laughs> but there's a darkness to the cold efficiency in which Jordy accepts the order and goes yeah. and dies which is something that that of itself is powerful. I wonder if they did toy with his reactions in this scene, though, and, yeah. like, heighten the emotion of it. 
like what you're talking about, like a lot of pushback is probably not something that they had time for in the app, but it is, it's like, despite all of the shortcomings of how this is executed, it's still really rough and it's clearly affecting her a lot. Like she feels terrible having to do this. There's a quick cut to Worf in this scene where he knows too. And that's fairly devastating. Like, like everyone knows what she's done. And to Worf's credit, he says nothing. He knows Jordy's about to die a warrior's death. Yeah. In a huge (laughs) amount of pain being bombarded with radiation. He should should be like, Jordy, awesome, dude. Awesome. (laughs) Hey, hey, Jordy. Uh, That's what I'm going to be doing for you later. (laughs) Give give you one of those warriors that's coming. You know how I do that, right? You've seen season two, right? <laughs> hey, uh, Jordy, you may want to take off that uniform before going in there. Uh, <laughs> those things are expensive. It's going to get messy. <laughs> um, Riker walks in and he's like, Congratulations. You passed. Uh, I know that that wasn't easy for you, but I'm super impressed. And relief washes over her in an awesome wave. Yeah. It's a, it's another getting promoted because somebody had to die in in as in two episodes that's happened twice that's really the dark truth of serving a, aboard this ship is that's basically how promotions happen yeah we've seen you, it from the beginning you don't get wharf a tactical without yar yeah well they just cracked the code and he's even come up with a medicine that he can give to uh to fix everybody's radiation poisoning an anti-radiation syrup that also tastes good? <laughs> Data, that's amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, the only way I can get everybody to drink this, because nobody trusts me, is to go pour it into the town well. <laughs> Nothing suspicious about that. This is an insane plan. <laughs> Data's like, look, because I'm so terrifying to look at, I will cloak myself in this hood and robe, making me look like some sort of ninja. (laughs) I will stand dramatically above the well and pour the contents of this bucket inside, this this unguarded well. Yeah. Not a great plan. No. Jaden. And sure as shit, the townspeople see him just about, just at the moment that he's ready to pour. And they threw and threw him with a spear. Yeah. And he does, like, they shoot this from above, so you get his fall onto the ground. It's a super compelling action scene here. Like, there's not a lot of shots and cuts, but it's the angle that sells it. And the sound of when he hits the ground, that metal metal... pipe hitting the brick. Yeah, I felt bad that, uh, felt bad that Mike Haggerty grabbed that metal and got electrocuted. Poor guy. He doesn't understand what's going on. That's got to be such a fun test for an actor. Like, act electrocuted. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Like, don't worry about looking silly. We'll uh, cover you up with after effect lightning bolts. Any any, uh, Oscar winning actor will tell you, you don't want to go full electrocution. I heard Mike Haggerty is such a method actor that he wanted real lightning bolts. (laughs) Anything we can do to uh, increase the amount of danger to me personally? <laughs> oh, that Mike Haggerty's perfect. 
That's one of your best impressions. Oh, I love that guy. Uh, so the next day, or maybe like six months later, it's not really clear, uh, Gia is walking around in the town square having a sad, and uh, up walks to her a bearded man and a red-headed woman, and they say, hey, we have a weird-looking friend who uh, you may know as the Iceman. Can you point us in his direction? And the direction she points is to a grave. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's in there. He's got a spear in him. That's why the box is so big that we buried him in. Yeah, I know that guy. He dead. <laughs> he's dead, but not before he saved us all. Yeah. Anyway. He's got kind ya. of like a, a hero monument grave. Not just any yeah. grave. Here lies Calvin Klein. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they, uh, they realize they can beam him up, like, out of the ground, and, uh, nobody will ever know. I love the idea They've been doing a lot of graveyard beam-ups lately, this season. I love the idea that, like, hundreds of years in the future, some, like, historian is looking into this, and I was like, is like, I wonder if that was a robot from another planet. We should, we should dig that up and look into it, and they, like... They, like, dig down, and there's just nothing there. Like, what, did, did they make it up? What the fuck? <laughs> I love the idea that they're, you know, buried in this series is another series that's sort of like Quantum Leap, where Data uh-huh. goes from planet to planet, dies on every one, and then gets <laughs> beamed out of his coffin at the end. <laughs> like, that could be a thing every time. So they beam him up to the Enterprise, and they boot him up. Turns out he's going to be okay. Yeah, I was a little unclear about how his memory worked here because he lost everything from from showing up in the town to getting killed, but he has back everything from before that. Like, the mechanics of amnesia are always so crazy <laughs> on television, you know? The mechanics of mechanical amnesia... Yeah. Especially. They had to cut out the part of the script where he lost his memory from getting bonked on the head by a coconut and then got it back from getting bonked on the head by another coconut. Like, Data's face was ripped off, and they put his face back together no problem. Did they have, like, like sort of like when you go to a fabric store, you got those bolts of fabric. Did they have Data's skin just, like, ready <laughs> for, for patches whenever they need to? Or... Does he have a boss scar in his in his chest where that spear went through? Like, know. there's there's a there's data damage continuity problems here that that like they don't solve for how they're able to do this. He can make his hair grow. Maybe he can make his skin grow. Hmm. They have the technology on this show to to show that. Yeah, they just show him eating a bunch of like chicken skin. He's like, yeah, I just need a little bit of this, and then I can, I'll have enough resources to. I produce my own collagen by eating bone broth. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fun. Did you like this episode, Ben? I love this episode. I think it's so much fun. It's a great Star Trek as a place. Uh, it's fun. It's got a fun uh, button where Troy tells Data. That uh, he now has to call her sir. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's and, and it's interesting, you know? It's it's 
very interesting to see them interact with less advanced peoples in mm-hmm. in ways and I, I love I love the trick that this episode has of getting around it just being another prime directive retread. Yeah. Uh it's just Yeah, a, they get around it by not bringing it up at all. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> That's how you do it. Yeah. This episode had equal parts equal parts things that I liked and and equal parts things that I didn't. I really like careerism as portrayed on the show. I mm-hmm. liked seeing the nuts and bolts of someone making a career and deciding that they're going to be ambitious and and all of the elements of that 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 make up Troy's decision. I thought that was really cool. I like the test. I did not like Renfair. I do not like you know just in general people in period costume is a thing that that I don't like on this show at all, but and I don't like uh like the doctor character was a real caricature and so that was a weak point, but the episode as a whole like it uh it exceeded the parts that drug on it and i really liked it it was fun yeah ben you know what else is fun priority Get one it. messages are always fun every single time priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel need a supplemental income supplemental income supplemental supplemental yeah it's extra but the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship Adam, our first priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from Kevin, and it's for Ryan. It goes like this. Ryan, thanks for introducing me to this dumb podcast. Hey, this birthday message is arriving super late, and you're so far behind on the pod that you might not even hear it until Christmas. It doesn't matter. I want you to have a happy birthday now. Now, 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 now. What a delight. <laughs> That's good stuff. Nice callback. Yeah. Ben, our second priority one message is from Nick. It is for the letter J. And by that, I just mean J. Like, that's who it's for. Yeah. Message goes like this. Everyone knows a juggling festival is a terrible place to meet your future spouse. But what our marriage presupposes is, maybe it isn't? <laughs> I'm eternally grateful that you braved the shuttlecraft trip to the anti-gravity conference, as even Kevin Uxbridge could not have envisioned a more perfect partner. P.S. Happy secret day, my love. Aww. The positivity of a Royal Tenenbaums reference and the darkness of a Kevin Uxbridge reference all in one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I got the bends hearing that P1 message a good reference sandwich, Nick. (laughs) Well, if you're interested in making a sandwich of your own, of references or otherwise, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Personal messages are $100. Commercial messages are $200. They're a great, great way to help the ongoing production of our program. Hey, Ben? What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I did. Um, I think that the character having the f- most fun and being the silliest in this episode is Riker. Um, the uh, the trombone scene is just so great. Like, it's just another, <laughs> like, Frakes just fucking chewing up a scene. 
Yeah. And uh like it's so it's so endearing. Like it's it's a it's it's a it's one of those Star Trek moments that I like forget exists and every time I see it it's like newly delightful to me. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that if you're doing if you're just reading the script, this wouldn't pop and it it might feel in danger of being ham and cheese. Yeah. But it's totally redeemed by their performance. Like a Frakes pulls this off and pulls it out of the heap in such a great way. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Pretty did awesome. you have a drunk Shimoda, Adam? I did, and my Shimoda goes to the healer of the of the village, Talur. Yeah. She is she is who I'd like to call like leech confident. Like <laughs> back when leeches were used as a medical device, like the people. Hey man, who leeches them are were, coming back. They were so confident about the leeches back in the day. They're like, look, you clearly have leprosy, but I'm going to stick 20 leeches down your pants and uh, we're going to get you fixed right up. I love that she she, uh, decides that his fluidic temperature is too high when he has burn marks from from the radiation. (laughs) Yeah, like she, her confidence is Shimoda-like to me and that read to me as, uh, as very emblematic of mascot here, so... Given mine to Talur. Nice. Damok, Angelad, and you might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. 
We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is Season 7, Episode 17, Mesh. (laughs) (laughs) While an alien archive transforms the entrepreneur into its ancient society... Data is taken over by several different personalities from the extinct civilization. Do you remember this episode, Adam? That was one of your best Kevins. (laughs) Oh, thank you. That was really great. (laughs) I remember Data putting on a really stupid, like, headdress style, like, the sort of thing you'd see someone wear at uh, an outdoor music festival, like, really stupid head mask thing. That uh, he can't exactly pull off. That's what I remember from this episode. <laughs> the titular mask, I yeah, believe. Yeah, the titular mask. This is one of those episodes that the people hate. Yeah, people people cite this and Sub Rosa as the real bad ones from season seven. I kind of like masks, TBH. TBH, I didn't think Sub Rosa was as awful as I was led to believe, though yeah. it was very bad. I think... <laughs> I think when you approach an episode with a bad reputation, like, I think that's a good place to approach it from yeah like i'm like chris pratt approaching the velociraptors like with my arms up (laughs) that's how i'm approaching masks okay i think this one can be trained you think uh you think it can figure out how to open doors yeah i do believe that well that's the next episode adam if gotta uh, watch it if you would like to reach out to us in the meantime there's a lot of great ways to do that uh you can go to Twitter and use the hashtag greatestgen. Adam is on there as at cut for time and I'm on there as at Benjamin R A H R. We also have very lively Reddit and Facebook groups and of course there's the Greatest Gen Wikia, which has always uh, got new and interesting information going on to it. Um, leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps uh, raise the visibility of the program and uh, thank you to everybody who has left a review. We are really killing it in the Apple Podcast review game. Got like 1,200 something. It's great. It's pretty great. Great yeah. to see. Uh, as we wind down the show as it relates to the next generation, uh, if you have not thought to contribute to this show's production, 
uh, now would be a great time to do that. Go to MaximumFun.org slash donate if this is a show that has meant something to you over the last few months. Indeed. We should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusea for a lot of other music here on the program. And with that, we will be back at you next time. Another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. And an episode of The Greatest Generation that is the Keymaster. And we're looking for that gatekeeper. What qualifies as a TNG communion wafer? <laughs> a Cool Ranch Dorito, I bet. <laughs> and it's a piece of chocolate cake. Yeah. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.